We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media. We are partnered with 440 Sports. Check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Lots of playoff coverage happening right now. Go over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. I'm Justin Graver. I'm joined, as always, by Justin Mello. I don't know if you guys can tell the difference, but I can tell the difference when I'm editing. I finally have my desk and my good mic set up again. I've been using my travel mic for about a month now, and... I don't know. Maybe you guys can't tell. Some of you probably can. I can definitely tell. How do I sound, Justin? (laughs) You sound lovely on this Monday evening, this snowy Monday evening. Maybe not where you are, but where I am, it's an extremely snowy Monday. Yeah. How many uh, centimeters did you get up there in Toronto? (laughs) So I guess (laughs) it was 60 centimeters, but I guess no one will know what that means. So it's about 25 inches, according to my calculation, my very scientific, precise calculations, I should add. Did you use a Google um, converter? I just Googled it. I took me all of four <laughs> seconds to do. It is probably not all that precise on second thought. Ah, two feet of snow and then some. That sounds fun. Uh, Nashville might get a little bit of snow for this weekend. We'll see how the forecast evolves. Whatever Nashville is going to get is child's play compared to what I've been dealing with today. So you're not, you're not going to get any sympathy from me fellow MCA listeners. I apologize. (laughs) That is true. All right, let's get into today's show. We have a nice one on deck because we're previewing a divisional round matchup. The Titans obviously advanced past Super Wild Card Weekend in which almost every favorite one, I guess, according to some people, every favorite one, (laughs) uh, three people will get that joke. Um, So we are going to look at the Titans-Bengals game because unfortunately the Steelers could not pull off the upset. The Patriots got beat in one of the worst playoff losses I've ever seen in NFL history. The best offensive performance maybe ever the Bills put on tape last weekend. And now the Titans will play the Bengals who beat the Raiders by a touchdown. Derek Carr had a chance to drive him down late and tie that game. But really... The Bengals seem to be in control for the majority of that game. So we'll get into the Bengals. We got a great guest to preview the Bengals. Joe Goodberry's on the show today. We might also have a very special guest joining us later on this show, a former Titans player. I'm going to say it because I don't want you guys to not listen to it. It's Keith fucking Bullock. (laughs) Not just any Titans player. It's Mr. Monday Night. Keith Bullock. (laughs) Mr. Monday Night himself. Keith Bullock was a member of the Titans in 2008, the last time this team had a first-round bye in the playoffs and that number one overall seed. Let's get his thoughts a little bit later on. But first, we got a little news to discuss. The Titans have designated fullback Torrey Carter to return. Again, we're taping this on a Monday, so who knows how the week will evolve. Fullback Torrey Carter has been designated to return from injured reserve and running back Jordan Wilkins, who was placed on the COVID list after the Titans week 18 game has been reverted to the practice squad. He was on the practice squad. He was on the practice squad reserve COVID list, and now he's back on the actual practice squad. So the Titans are nearing full health as they enter their first playoff game. Obviously one big domino yet to fall is the activation of running back Derek Henry. I would anticipate that happens if not Wednesday, probably Saturday, maybe Friday, since the game is on Saturday instead of a typical Sunday where our schedule's a day off this week from the Titans' practice standpoint. But what do you think 
Tory Carter's return means for the roster construction. Jordan Wilkins, I would expect, probably not active. Will the Titans carry five running backs into game day, including the two fullbacks? Yeah, I think that's actually a very realistic uh, possibility and outcome. First off, you know, good good on Jordan Wilkins for for getting past COVID there and reverting back to the practice squad. That's great news. Uh, on Carter, it's it's also very good news. You get the impression that the Titans really like him. Mike Vrabel really likes him, I think, right? This is a really hard-nosed football player who plays with an aggressive uh, mentality and mindset. He really embodies what the Titans are all about, what Mike Vrabel is all about. Here he is as an undrafted free agent out of LSU, you know, made this roster. Uh, despite a being a fullback, you know, playing a position that's not all that, uh, you know, highly regarded nowadays, obviously. And B, uh, they already had a pretty good one in Kari Blossing game, right? So, but Carter remains here on this roster. I think they like him. It's good news for a rushing attack that's about to get Derrick Henry back, right? It makes you a bit more multiple, a little bit more versatile. You have Kari Blossing game, you have Tory Carter. They can both do a lot of things for you. And they can both catch a couple passes too, right? Run routes out of the backfield. So you can do some things with them. And they're also very good special teams players. So I expect that both of them will be active. And I think you're right. I think we get five active running backs. I think you'll certainly have Foreman and, and Hilliard in addition uh, to Henry, right? With uh, Dontrell Hilliard taking over that third down role that was left vacant by Jeremy McNichols release. And I think Foreman is your, obviously your number two back and, and, and backs up Henry. And, and another thing to consider here is, you know, we expect Henry to be healthy and handle the majority of the carries, but you probably don't want to go light there at running back in case he suffers a setback or or whatever, right? You're gonna you're gonna want Hilliard and um, and Foreman active. So, but I don't think that prevents uh, you carrying both Blossom Game and Carter on game days as well. I think that Carter's going to be a special teams factor in addition to whatever he offers as a fullback on offense, and that will be one of the reasons you see five running backs active. But if they do carry five on on game day, where do they go light? This is an interesting discussion we started to have right before taping. So my thought is maybe they go light at wide receiver since you have such a star-studded group that's supposedly healthy now. But what if Julio has a hamstring issue? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's the big question there. If you do go the five backs, then do you go light at receiver? And you said it, right? I mean, Julio's obviously been dealing with this hamstring dating back to last season in Atlanta, right? When he only played in nine games. And it's obviously continued to hamper him throughout this year, his first in Tennessee. So you, you take a bit of a risk there. If you go with four, uh, you've got, let's say, obviously you're going to go with AJ, Julio, uh, Westbrook, Akine, and Chester Rogers, right? But Chester is essentially limited to just playing in the slot. So if you lose Julio, all of a sudden you've got AJ and, and Westbrook on the outside and they can't really take a snap off, right? I mean, you're pretty much throwing them out there every single play. So it, it's a bit of a risk to go light at receiver given Julio's issues. I think you probably actually see them go light at tight end because of what Blossom Game and Tory Carter can do for you. They both kind of give you that that H back move tight end kind of inline blocker who starts in the backfield kind of deal. So I think that maybe that's how this ends up playing out as you see those two guys um, playing a little bit of a tight end type role with Michael yeah. Pruitt's injury. Maybe Ryan Izzo doesn't get up for this game now that Carter's back. Yeah. Izzo, I mean, he, he, he needed time to learn the offense, but I, I don't think he played an offensive snap in week 18 against Houston. So that's certainly a possibility, but, it's still tough to say because we don't know how much of that had to do with him learning the offense on the fly. And, and if now they're more comfortable with him now that he's had two weeks, but I certainly wouldn't rule that out. Right. If you only carry two tight ends and it's Furkser and Swaim and, 
and, and don't and don't forget they're the tight end. They, they've been lining up Aaron Brewer out there, right on 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 run blocking down. So uh, it's certainly a possibility that maybe you you justify carrying five backs by only carrying the two tight ends. Exactly. Just one fun note there on Tory Carter. He joins a large group of former LSU teammates who will be <laughs> playing together and facing off in this game. That obviously includes uh, Christian Fulton and Jamar Chase who will have a lot of snaps matched up against each other. We'll talk a little bit more about how the Titans might play that in a bit. But Joe Burrow quarterback guy too, Joe I guess. Joe Burrow, obviously the quarterback, Racy McMath on the Titans, Torrey Carter, and uh, the Bengals have a defensive tackle, Tyler Shelvin, who played on that same LSU team as well. So God, that's lots what, of six guys. Of yeah, lots of LSU that's... guys in this game. It's got to be almost unheard. I mean, I know Alabama's got a, a billion players in the NFL and Georgia and yada, yada. So I'm sure it's, happened but six in a playoff game with all of them being from that same 2019 team and all being so young right you're talking about guys who are all correct me if i'm wrong they're all in their first or second season right it's pretty astounding yeah exactly second season at the most and yeah they all played on the championship team together so they couldn't be in the nfl longer than two seasons ago but yeah pretty crazy um all right let's let's move on a little bit here talk about this Bengals team that dominated the raiders i felt like watching the game i mean I was tweeting out, I had a little bit of a running bit tweeting out how we were rooting for the underdogs. And my early impression of the Raiders Bengals game was that the Bengals were dominating. So I was like already pivoting to go Patriots. And then the same thing happened with the Bills Patriots. Bills dominated right off the bat. And then the Chiefs Steelers was uh, more entertaining for a bit longer, but eventually Kansas City turned that into a route as well. So dominating performances by each of the, each of the three teams that we were rooting for, for the Titans to ha- hopefully play all got blown out. And that's why we were rooting for the Titans to play them. But I guess we can't call the Raiders a blowout. They did come back. They made it a game. Derek Carr had a chance to go down the field and get a potential game-tying not, touchdown. Not just go down the field. They were on like the 10-yard line or the 8-yard line or whatever. They had like fourth and goal, right? With You're right. 10, they made it down the left, field. So. Yeah, they made it all the way down the field. Derek Carr clocks it on first down with like 39 <laughs> seconds left in the game. Like, you're not going to run four plays in 39 seconds anyway. Just snap the ball. But yeah, the the Raiders cannot pull it off. Carr throws short of the end zone anyway. And even if it was caught, it wasn't going to be a touchdown and it gets no. picked off. So pretty, pretty bad play by Derek Carr and the Bengals there. But the Bengals suffered a couple of pretty key injuries, I think. Defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi, who plays in the middle of that defensive line, an anchor for them, played more snaps than any interior defensive lineman for the Bengals this season. Mike Herndon tweeted that out a bit ago. He will not play. He's been placed on injured reserve. He's totally out of this game. So that opens a big hole in the middle of the defense for potentially the return of Derrick Henry. And then the other big injury is to their defensive end, Trey Hendrickson, who signed from the New Orleans Saints in the offseason to replace Carl Lawson, has been a great addition to their defense. When our guest comes on later, you'll hear him say he was potentially their best defensive player this season. He's dealing with a concussion. And the way the concussion protocol works is as of this taping on Monday, we don't know anything. We won't even know anything tomorrow. We might not know anything Wednesday. We might find out if he is practicing on Wednesday because we're a day ahead of the usual schedule. So the usual schedule would be the Thursday return to practice, but it'll happen Wednesday this week. So keep an eye on that. If Hendrickson is out, I really like the Titans chances on offense because one of their biggest issues has been pass protection against defensive ends, especially if Hendrickson's lining up against David Questenberry. If he's not in this game, that is a huge weight off of the shoulders of the Titans O-line. Yeah, I think Trey Hendrickson, and again, as you said, you'll hear this with our guest later, but 
I think he's probably undeniably their best defensive player. I mean, the guy had 14 or 15 sacks this year. He had a sack streak going for a while. I remember because I wrote on it where he had at least, uh, I think it was one sack or half a sack. I think it was a full sack though, for like nine or 10 straight weeks. Like he was ridiculous this season. He's, I'll go on record and saying, I'm sorry, Titans fans. And I'm, I'm a Bud Dupree fan, but Trey Hendrickson was the best free agent uh, signing at the edge position in the off season. I mean, I think if you could go in and, and add Trey Hendrickson to this Titans team in those 15 sacks, you'd be silly not to, right? I mean, Carl Lawson went to a big deal with the Jets and, and, and Matt Judon, by the way, was also very good to New England, but he kind of lost some of it down the stretch. And Bud Dupree, I, I, I'll defend the guy. You know, I think he's been pretty good in Tennessee, even if the sack numbers don't live up to the contract. But I don't think any of these guys has been as good as Trey Hendrickson. And again, that's not so much an indictment on those guys. Trey Hendrickson has been really, really good this season. So uh, it would be a, a huge boost for Tennessee's offensive line and, and passing attack as well. If Hendrickson can't play in this game, he really is that good of a football player. And one fun fact I want to say, because it's, it's totally meaningless, nobody will care but me but Larry Ogunjabi who, who you just mentioned is out of this game I have conducted I always remember him so well I have conducted about 600 interviews with NFL draft prospects over the last six years Larry Ogunjabi was my second ever when I was just getting my feet wet so I'm a big fan of his he's a really good guy and a really good player so I hate to see him uh, land on season ending IR and I hope he, he rests up but one injury you forgot there too by the way is another defensive tackle Mike Daniels uh, another oh, yeah. guy that plays on the interior for them and, and head uh, Bengals head coach Zach Taylor actually said on Monday that uh, he doesn't think he'll be back. So he hasn't fully ruled him out, but if you're, if you're keeping score at home here, he has fully ruled out Ogunjabi. He has all but ruled out Daniels. There's probably less than a 10% chance that Daniels goes based on Taylor's comments. And then Hendrickson's in the concussion protocol. So this is a really dire situation for the Bengals right now. And, you know, we don't wish injury injury on anybody, but we have to call it how we see it. It certainly plays very well into the hands of the Titans. I was doing a little bit of quick mental math there while you were talking to see how many of Josh Jacobs rushing yards came in the second half. Ogunjobi leaves the game in the third quarter. Josh Jacobs finished the game 13 carries, 83 yards. That's 6.4 yards per carry. Only 24 of those yards came in the second half on about six attempts. So you're looking at close to... 64 rushing yards on eight carries that Josh Jacobs put together with Ogan Joby in the game. And that's, that's a bad Raiders offensive line, a really yeah. bad Raiders offensive line. And I'm sorry to tell you, but Josh Jacobs is a pretty bad running back as well. He has been a shade of his former self over these last couple of years. Anyone who's watched the tape will tell you Jacobs is not the guy he used to be when he kind of first emerged and we thought he was going to become a bell cow. He's had some injuries that have really slowed him down. You turn the tape on, he's just, he, he's a, a really uh, not the same player that he was. And the, the Raiders had three drives to close this game, and they took over one of those drives with seven minutes to go down by 10. Jacobs had one, two, three, four, five carries on that drive. He didn't have another carry in the game. They had two more drives after that, took over with 6.46 to go, um, down 26 to 16, they get all the way down the field and kick a field goal. Every single play was a Derek Carr pass attempt. And then the final drive, they take over with 151 to go down a touchdown, drive down the field 56 yards in 11 plays before Derek Carr's uh, game-ending interception. Every single play was a Derek Carr pass attempt. Josh Jacobs had 13 carries for 83 yards. Like, 
if the Raiders had stuck to the run in this game, they have a much better chance, I think, of keeping it close. They only allow 26 to the Bengals' explosive offense. It wasn't like the Bengals just put on a huge offensive clinic against them. They got up to a big lead, which I think helped force the Raiders to play from behind. If that happens to the Titans, they will have to adapt and play from behind and throw the ball a little more. But we've seen Tennessee come back from games like that against playoff caliber teams down 10, zero to the Niners and came back and took and, a lead. And sorry, not to cut you off, but they were not a playoff caliber team, but everyone talks about, we'll go up big on Tennessee and take Henry out of the game. I go, I, I go back to this year, week two against the Seahawks, right? When the Titans were down 14, 17, yada, yada at halftime. And in the second half, they were still running Henry, right? In fact, it was that Henry, what, 60, 70-yard touchdown run. I think they were down 14 at the time. That kind of began mounting the comeback. So just because you go up 10, 14 on the Titans early doesn't mean they're not going to run Derrick Henry. Exactly, and I think that's one of the biggest keys to keeping their game plan together is that they will remain patient and will remain running Derrick Henry, especially having had to play without him for so many weeks. you think Todd Downing would be excited to just call some Derrick Henry plays, some King Henry, Wild Tractor, Wildcat, whatever you want to call it, Wild King. You might get a screen. You might get some Wildcat, like you said. I mean, let's let's get crazy. Yeah, we saw uh, in those practice videos that Teron Davenport was tweeting last week, Derrick Henry out there making catches. He looked, I mean, I think I, every time I see Henry catching balls in practice, he looks a little bit more natural and a little, more, a little bit more comfortable doing it. So I definitely think we'll see Henry involved in the passing game just like he was earlier this year before getting hurt so i'll say this another thing i'm interested in seeing is how the titans defensive line gets after joe burrow in this game because the bengals offensive line has struggled all year joe burrow is the most sacked quarterback in football the second most sacked quarterback in football is ryan Tannehill. so a battle of the most sacked quarterbacks in this game but joe joe burrow also happens to be if you uh, go to the at f words pod feed you'll see some stats on joe burrow under pressure this season highest rated quarterback under pressure highest completion percentage under pressure joe burrow is a master at navigating pressure and making a throw when the defense is in the scramble drill mode and they're breaking down and that's going to be one of the keys for the titans on defense is plaster your receiver once joe burrow breaks contain they had a lot of experience dealing with this last season before Jamar Chase was a Bengal when they played against Joe Burrow and it felt like the Titans were just tripping over themselves, rushing after him, and he was completing huge third downs. So we'll see if they can get him on the ground when they pressure him because that's the difference. Joe Burrow takes a lot of sacks under pressure, but when he gets the pass off, it's usually a huge play. Yeah, and they've had, you know, it's funny, they've had a lot of experience with it this year as well. I mean, and, and truthfully, most of it hasn't been good experience. But a lot of it came really early on in the season. Like if you go back to week one, Kyler Murray did it a ton in that Cardinals game, which feels like a year ago now, by the way. But Murray was amazing creating off script and the Titans got their butts kicked in that week one game. Russell Wilson did it a bit in week two in that in that crazy comeback win. Uh, they gave up a big one to Josh Allen in that primetime win, right? I think where it was uh, right near the end of the half. I think it was a touchdown to Cole Beasley. And I think the responsibility largely fell on Elijah Molden on that one. There was some confusion whether it was on Jack Rabbit or Molden, but we, we ended up confirming it was Molden. Uh, um, they gave it up to the hell. The, the Jets lost. No one wants to remember, right? Zach Wilson mm -hmm. did some things off script where he created, but it's funny. All of those games kind of happened within the first six or seven weeks. I'm struggling to think of a big play that a quarterback created off script against the Titans uh, in the second half of the season, specifically, you know, weeks 12 to 18. Not that that guarantees one didn't happen. I could just be misremembering, but it feels like they certainly got a lot better at that throughout the year. Yeah, it does feel like that was probably a point of emphasis halfway through the season when they were like, look, when a play starts to break down, you guys got to find a man and cover him. And I think that that will be a huge point of emphasis for this game because 
And Mike Vrabel talked about this in his Monday press conference about how last season's game is is weighing heavily on their mind. They know what they're getting into when it comes to Joe Burrow scrambling and making plays. And they've only gotten better as far as playmakers go, adding obviously the rookie, in my opinion, the rookie of the year. I think he might be the consensus rookie of the year in Jamar Chase. Absolutely. And uh, given that there was no real great quarterback rookie this year, um, Mac Jones faded so much down the stretch. We're having a different discussion now. But Jamar Chase, the clear rookie of the year. And I'm so anti-wide receivers winning rookie of the year because A.J. Brown absolutely deserved it, didn't win, <laughs> lost to a mediocre quarterback. Justin Jefferson absolutely deserved it, didn't win, also lost to a qu- quarterback who was really good. Justin Herbert was really good and deserved it. But um, give wide receivers off as rookie of the year more often is what I say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, getting back on track here, the Titans should be absolutely <laughs> – horrified of Jamar Chase. Uh, every team in the league should be horrified of Jamar Chase. In fact, you're foolish if you aren't, right? I mean, he's an unbelievable player. What a rookie year he put together. And Titans are going to have their work cut out for them, right? And you got to be careful with that off-strip stuff. He's an alpha male at the catch point, right? And, and let's be honest, against in, in that Raiders game, and receivers get away with it a lot, but he's getting away with a little bit of OPI. Like, he's aggressive at the catch point at the top of his route. Got a little A.J. Brown to him in that sense. Brown, they're very different receivers, but Brown's always pretty aggressive too, right? At the top of the catch. And uh, Chase certainly got away with at least one push-off in that Raiders game when it was the veteran corner. I think it was, was it Desmond Trufant they have there? or Trufant or Hayward, one of the two. Uh, no, I think it was, it was, it was Desmond Trufant, I think it was. It wasn't Hayward, uh, who was like, he totally pushed him off at the top of the route and you saw Trufant complaining and he didn't get the call but uh Chase is really aggressive he's a terrific receiver and when if Burrow starts creating off script look I'm very confident in the Titans heading into this game I'll be honest with you but the one way they can lose this game is if Burrow just goes absolutely nuclear and is creating a, a ton of stuff off script and is just making these huge plays happen and uh, truthfully you know he's capable of doing so but that's really the only way that I see the Titans losing this game And I mentioned it right off the top that we would talk about Christian Fulton against Jamar Chase here. And I think it's time to get into that because uh, we'll see. That's my that's my opinion on how much is Christian Fulton going to cover Jamar Chase. And I'm of the opinion there was a little bit of talk going on in the group chat this morning about and yes, and last night as well about how well would Christian Fulton know Jamar Chase? How much of his how much of an advantage is it that? Fulton would have practiced every day against Fulton and against Chase and Burrow. And uh, Mike Mike's counterpoint was, well, Burrow and Chase would have practiced every day against Fulton. So it kind of goes both ways there, the familiarity. But how many other NFL cornerbacks have the experience of practicing against Jamar Chase every single day in practice? Like none of them. Christian Fulton is the only one. So I'm really excited for those plays whenever Jamar Chase and Christian Fulton are lined up on the same side. I'm excited to see if the Titans do anything different than they've done all year because all season long, they have not shadowed, they have not stuck a cornerback on a receiver and followed them across the field. They have played their sides, which means Jackrabbit Jenkins is going to have his fair share of matchups against Jamar Chase. A lot of Titans fans are rightfully concerned about that. You just talked about why everyone should be concerned about Chase. But I think physicality and style-wise... That's not a bad matchup for Jackrabbit Jenkins. I'd be more concerned with him trying to cover a Tyreek Hill type of receiver than a Jamar Chase physical big-bodied guy. That's the kind of matchup Jackrabbit can win as much as he might get beat. And from a defensive standpoint, you only have to win one or two times really well. Like, you give up a few catches down the field, sure, but you win on third down, it doesn't matter what you gave up before that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how these cornerbacks match up with the receivers. And that also goes for Christian Fulton against T. Higgins, who squared off in the national championship game in 2019 or January 2020, 2019 season. Uh, so they have the experience playing each other as well. Yeah, I mean, that's one th- I'm glad you said that because 
let's not forget about T Higgins. I mean, he's a legitimate number one receiver on most NFL teams. He's a really good player. So it can't just all be about Jamar chase, obviously. And Hey, they got a good tight end, right. It, it, uh, down who makes plays up, up, up the seam there. So, and a great running back in Joel Mixon and Tyler Boyd would be a receiver too on most NFL teams. Right. So this is a loaded stack offense. There's no denying, but on the Fulton uh, uh, chase topic, I'm really excited to watch them go head to head. Like you said, I think the Titans will probably continue to stick to their strategy, which means they'll play sides and they'll take their chances with, you know, Jack rabbit on chase. Cause they'll like the physicality there, but I'm excited to see them go head to head, man. You figure you're probably going to see it at least what 40% of snap, uh, routes that chase runs probably get at least Fulton on 40% of those. So it's going to be a sizable portion of that. And, and I'm excited to see it. And, and, and as much as we like Jack rabbit and we think he's had a great second half of the year, and we think the Titans will stick to their strategy of playing sides, which cornerback and throw all the practice stuff out the window, like pure skill set. Which cornerback you think has the best chance of matching up well with Chase? Because it has to be Fulton, in my opinion, right? I think so too. Fulton's been one of the best corners in the league. He leads the Titans in PBUs on the season. He's been super underrated. The Titans don't get the coverage that a typical number one seed would or should get. But if they did, I think Fulton would be in the talk for at least in talks for the all pro team. I don't think he was an all pro corner this year, but I think he would have got a vote or two if the Titans had more national attention and just attention specifically on what he's done this season. Uh, no Flags Film, the newest contributor to Broadway, James from No Flags Film at No Flags Film on Twitter, put out like a five-minute clip, I think, something like that, of Fulton getting playing great defense all season long. Go find that clip and watch it if you have any doubts about Christian Fulton's ability to cover. The only place that, that Christian Fulton worries me is his ability to tackle in the screen game and the run game. He's a very quick with the recognition getting downhill, but sometimes he flies so fast he, he blows right by the play. But even just corralling a player and, and slowing him down so that the rest of your teammates can get there is what I think we'll see because the Bengals do have some yak beasts. I mean, Chase, as good of, of a downfield threat as he is, is equally dangerous just catching and running after the catch. He, he, they'll give it to him on little reverses and those little like pitch forward passes. They'll throw him screens. They'll throw him quick hooks and he makes guys miss. We saw in his record setting game earlier this season, his first touchdown, he just outran everyone on the defense on, on his way to the end zone. So definitely think that Fulton has the best chance of matching up, but you have to, I think, acknowledge going into this game as a Titans fan, they're going to make plays and you can't freak out every time they make a play because it's, it's going to happen all game long. And, this game will be determined by who makes the most plays, not on first and second down, but on third down and in the red zone. That's where playoff games are really won and lost is can you get the stops in the red zone? And the Bengals had trouble converting in the red zone against a not bad, but not great Raiders defense. The well, Titans red zone on, defense. I'm sorry. I just, I got to stop you there and, and prefix that with the Raiders gave up touchdowns on 81% of red zone drives during the regular season. That was the worst mark in the last 30 seasons. So okay, it was so shocking Raiders... to see them hold up in the red zone against the Bengals. Yeah. The, and the Bengals actually finished this game two of five in the yeah. red zone at a 40, that's 40%. So that's the, that's well under the 81%. I, I remember making allowing. a comment. I remember making a comment to a friend of mine that ironically it was the Raiders red zone defense that kind of kept them in that game and allowed them to attempt to come back. But 30 years sounds like the Titans on third down last year, right? 30 right. years, the worst red zone, 81%. They allowed touchdown drives or sorry. They allowed those red zone trips to be converted to touchdowns. 81%. 
Yeah, unbelievable. That's almost automatic. Uh, four out of five there, and the the Bengals only convert two out of five, so half as much as you might expect from that percentage. And I think that we've seen it as Titans fans play out where the team that converts best in the red zone gives themselves such a better chance to win. When the Titans beat the Patriots and the Ravens, they converted in the red zone. Then they go to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game and kick, I think it was three straight field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. Maybe it was only two field goals. But you build up a three-touchdown lead against the Chiefs, you're in a lot better position than you are with like a six- to nine-point lead. And we obviously saw Patrick Mahomes erase that lead with that run that I don't need to talk about where he got around Rashawn Evans and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, I do think the Titans have a chance to be the better team in the red zone. They've been so good in the red zone on offense this year and the last three years, really, since Ryan Tannehill took over. But getting Derrick Henry back in the red zone, when you can run the ball well in the red zone, it really sets up your team because the passing lanes get so condensed when you don't have the ability to take the top off the defense that it's so much more important to run the ball. Titans are the best team at finishing in goal-to-go situations this year. You add Derrick Henry back to that mix, I think we could see the Titans win this game. Now, it's a playoff game. I mentioned this last week. Literally anything can happen. One ball bouncing one weird way. One Trey Hendrickson, if he plays strip sack on Ryan Tannehill, can change the whole course of this game. But based on the way both these teams have played all year, I feel pretty confident the Titans could win this by a touchdown or more. What do you think? I do feel really good about the Titans' chances in this game. I'll be honest. I felt great about their chances uh, against any of these four potential opponents, right? Whether it was the Patriots, the Raiders, or obviously the Steelers. You know, the Titans are playing at home. Um, you know, I, I go back to a conversation I had um, with, a, with a scout friend of mine uh, at the beginning of the, or not the beginning of the season, maybe about four or five, six weeks through the season. And we talked about who are the teams that are going to be at the top of the AFC at the end of the season. And we looked at each other and we said, it's going to be the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Tennessee Titans. And call it cliche if you want, but these are three teams that have been here before. It feels like every team that is preparing to play for this moment has gone through something, right? The Titans had that AFC championship loss to Kansas City. They gained that playoff experience by beating the Ravens and the Patriots. They made the playoffs again last year, won 11 games, won their division. They have been here before. Buffalo Bills went to the AFC championship game last year. They have been here before. The Kansas City Chiefs, self-explanatory, two straight Super Bowl trips, including one victory. They have been here before. I'm of the opinion that the teams that are ready for this moment are those. You kind of got to, you know, I'll never forget what the scout said. You kind of got to go through some shit, you know, before you can be ready for this moment. And and no disrespect to the Cincinnati Bengals, because I, I love Joe Burrow. I love Jamar Chase. I think Zach Taylor is a fair candidate for coach of the year. Of course, I think Mike Vrabel should win it. But Taylor did a great job with this team this year, winning that AFC North division. And hey, they won a big game against Kansas City a few weeks ago, a game that meant something. So they're capable. But I ultimately think the Bengals are just a little too young for this. They're not, they need to go through that tough loss. They're going to go into this. They, if they lose this game, they'll go into this offseason and they'll keep this loss fresh in their memory. It'll be that experience that they need to propel them and catapult them to the next level to potentially becoming one of those top four teams in the AFC. So I just don't think the Bengals are quite ready for this moment. And I mean, no disrespect to them whatsoever. I, I just think you do need to go through something, you know, before you can win these games and, and they need that teachable moment and I do predict that that teachable moment comes this Saturday uh, when they lose to the Titans and, and in addition to that feeling 
it's not the only thing I'm going off here. I do really like how the Titans match up in this game. I think that pass rush will get the better of Cincinnati's offensive line. They'll do enough to impact the pocket. And like you said, limit the big plays because you're probably not going to eliminate them altogether because Burrow is so good at that and those, and those weapons, but limit the big plays is what you need to do. I think this front seven, this pass rush will do that. I think the secondary will do that with a couple of big stops on third down tight, sticky, tight coverage, uh, PBUs at the catch point, all those, things that will lead to some Cincinnati punts and and I think Tennessee will be able to run the ball at a high level with all those injuries on the defensive line even if Trey Hendrickson plays don't get me wrong and I got tremendous respect for him I think Tennessee will be able to run the ball in an effective clip especially with those big bodies up the middle Mike Daniels Larry Ogunjabi being out of this game Henry's first game back we've never seen an angry you know Derrick Henry returning from injury and and what did Buck Rising say? January 22nd, uh, 2022, number 22. It's all lining up, but all kidding aside, no, I, I think Henry has a terrific game. I love the way the Titans match up uh, both sides of the ball. The experience factor that I mentioned, uh, I, I feel really good about Tennessee's chances in this game. And they're playing at home, right, with a chance to go to the AFC championship game. I mean, I feel really good about Tennessee's chances in this game. I feel a lot better about their chances in this game than I did against the Ravens a year ago. I do too. And what's interesting to me, just looking at the AFC, first, I want to talk about the 22nd of the year, 2022. <laughs> it's also 22 years since the Titans last played in a Super Bowl. Wow. Credit Corked Bats for that stat. Corked Bats has a great Henry Return video coming out. Mm. I'm making one too, but he has one out. So go check that out. <laughs> I'm waiting till he's actually returned to drop mine. But anyway, whatever. Sorry. Um, I think what all that stuff you just said is so important to consider because we look at we often analyze these games just thinking about the on-field player versus player skill set matchups and we we forget about the human element of this something that Wes from Broadway tweeted today at Titans draft tape uh, the the Bengals will be playing their tenth straight weekend of football this Saturday during those ten weeks the Titans have had their actual buy their one seed playoff buy and a mini buy after Thursday night football. So the Bengals, who, if the Titans were playing them on Sunday, would have gotten an extra day of rest to get ready for this game, Saturday to Saturday. So it's a, a standard week for the Bengals, standard seven-day period, and their 10th straight standard seven-day period. Actually, I guess you could consider that they had a six-day period because they went from Sunday to Saturday into wildcard weekend. But so the, the Bengals have, are not going to come into this game with nearly the amount of rest. I think it's going to be a physical game because the Titans are a physical team. And to get your physical team the rest that they've had over the last 10 weeks, they're finally the healthiest they've been all season with with Saffold and Lawan at basically full strength now. Then they haven't been much of the year. Henry obviously expected to come back. This is going to be the 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 reason that if the Titans are able to win is all that extra rest, all the stuff you just mentioned with the the experience of playing in the big moment. And and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase went and won a national championship together, so they've played in plenty of big moments themselves. But this is a different beast, the NFL playoffs, and they got great experience last week. But the Bengals' offense wasn't all that impressive last week, and it hasn't really been all that impressive for a little while. They're the big plays that the Bengals are generating have been on Joe Burrow throwing it up to Jamar Chase or T Higgins. And one of those guys making a crazy contested catch. That's how they've been moving the ball. The majority of this, of this run that they've been on the last few weeks. So I do like the Titans chances quite a bit. That said, if the Titans lose this game, I think it's because they beat themselves. Penalties are huge in the playoffs. Turnovers 
careless plays. But I don't expect that Titans team to show up this week. It's certainly possible that they do. They've done it a few times this year. But I think this team will be locked in. They've been here before, like you said. And they know the, they know what's at stake. Obviously, everyone knows what's at stake. But like for these players, for some of these guys, the Bengals, really young team, they'll be back here. The Titans have a lot of aging veterans. You look at Julio Jones, Roger Saffold, Jackrabbit Jenkins. There's a lot of guys, Ben Jones, a lot of guys e- e- like Kowatri, that. Uh, yeah. Taylor Lewan, even. Hell, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry. How Tannehill's many, in how his many 30s. are these guys going to get to win? Kevin Byard. It's- yeah, exactly. These guys are are veterans now, and they they'll they un, they like. I think will have a more appreciation, a, a greater appreciation for what this opportunity means than the Bengals. Zach Taylor, even a young head coach who obviously was with McVeigh on a Super Bowl trip, but didn't win. Versus Mike Vrabel, who's been to so many Super Bowls as a player and been in the playoffs as a coach that. I just think the Titans will have, like I said, a greater appreciation for what this opportunity means for them, especially with the one seed at home. If they blow this, I'm going to be pissed off as a fan if they blow this opportunity. <laughs> it, it would be an extremely disappointing loss, uh, it, it, losing to the Bengals. Extremely disappointing. Two things I quickly want to read off. You talked about the bye or, the, or coming off a bye. You know, last time the Titans came off a mini bye was following the Thursday night football uh, win over San Francisco. They beat Miami 34 to three, right? That improved Mike Vrabel's record to coming off a bye or mini bye to eight and O with an average margin of victory of 18.8 points. That is astounding. I mean, eight games is a decent sample size, right? We're not talking about two games here and kind of gets lost in the gutter. No, eight games. They have won those eight, all eight of them. They're eight and zero by an average margin of eighteen point eight. Only one of those eight wins was by less than fourteen points. Shout out to Mike wow. Herndon, of course, who tweeted that following the win over Miami. So, I mean, a chance to go nine and zero here. Vrabel does another thing. I want to shout out because I I don't think that it probably got the credit that it deserved, and I might try to find the full quote here um, as I uh, as I explain this to our listeners but one of my favorite things that i saw happen in in nashville media over the last little bit was paul kuharski got a great quote out of kevin byard a few days ago or or even a week ago now um, about being the one seed and having the week off and i I don't know if you saw this but i kind of wish it got more uh traction and and coverage um on on social media i know i retweeted at the time because it did really kind of stick out to me but Bayard talked about having the one seed and, and, and that experience of not wanting to have a letdown. He said specifically, and I'm going to try to find the quote here in a minute, but I don't want to delay too much. He basically talked about the Titans experience going to Baltimore two years ago when the Ravens were the one seed and the Titans just beat the brakes off of them. You'll remember that game obviously really well, probably one of my favorite games in Titans history with all the Lamar Jackson turnovers and converting in the red zone, the Derrick Henry touchdown throw, Jarrell Casey strip sack. Um, he talked about that game saying how they could take experience from that because they felt the Ravens were not ready for that game, right? They had that week off. They were the one seed. Maybe they felt themselves a little too much and they allowed the Titans to go in there, control the game, control the tempo and really just lay a, a beating on them. And I love that Bayard talked about that, thinking back to it and saying, 
we are very weary of that. We we do not want to let that happen. So I thought it was really interesting that Bayard kind of drew from that experience, specifically because it was an experience that he was on the other side of, right? They were not the one seed at that time, but they saw what they were able to do to that one seed. And I think it was really neat that he kind of drew from that. Yeah, they he's talking like we know we know what the Bengals are thinking coming into our stadium as the not one seed, and we're not going to let them do what we did to the Baltimore Ravens to us. The there is a slight difference there too in that the Titans were what the sixth seed that season, I think. So they had to go to New England, and then they had to go to Baltimore. The Bengals, like, so the Titans had already got a little bit of road playoff experience that year. The Bengals got to play their first playoff game at home. It's Joe Burrow's first career playoff game. Obviously, Jamar Chase, a lot of those guys, Joe Mixon. I mean, Bengals haven't been to the playoffs in years. They haven't won a playoff game in 31 years. So a lot of those guys' first playoff experience was at home. What what will the difference be when they come to Nashville with thousands of screaming Titans fans who force Joe Burrow to not hear the snap count and have to go silent count on the, against the Titans defense all day and a Titans defense that has been ferocious at swarming to the ball and hitting guys and making big plays. That's going to be a key for the Titans defense though. Don't be over aggressive. Don't get taken advantage of. We talked about this in the Houston game when they ran the, uh, what was it? A flea flicker touchdown and Danny Amendola was wide open or not Danny Amendola. The other guy, Chris Moore was wide open for a touchdown off the flea flicker when Jackrabbit and Bayard both bit really hard. But I do think there that we talked about this last week, a lot of teachable moments from that go into this game, know what you have to do. I'm going to go out and predict a Titans 27, 17 win in this game. What you got? I like that. I'll go Titans 29 Bengals 20. Okay, so we both have them winning by more than one score, which is an interesting place to be as a fan. Hopefully our expectations are not too high heading into this. Let's bring in our guest now and get his perspective on the Bengals, learn a little bit more about what this team's been through all season and what to expect on Saturday. I've been pumped up for this whole episode, man. I just got to tell you before we bring the guest on, this is our first episode, of course, previewing a, a playoff game in a year. So I am pumped up. We brought out all the stops. This is our, our first guest, a terrific guest in Joe Goodbury. If you're not familiar with him, not only is he, uh, no disrespect to anybody else, but in my opinion, the go-to guy on Bengals Twitter, he's one of my favorite Twitter followers, period. Joe Goodbury is terrific. And he kind of stepped back from, from working in football a couple of years ago, but he remains the go-to guy when it comes to all things Bengals related. Real quick, I don't usually do this. I'm jumping in here during my editing to say that Joe's audio is not fantastic. There's some digitization going on, some Zoom issues, I think. But if you guys want to skip it because it's hurting your ears, we will understand. But there's a lot of good info here. If you do want to listen through some of the noise, I'm going to play the audio. I did my best to sweeten it a little, but it doesn't sound great. Anyway, we are very excited then to welcome him onto the show now, Joe Goodberry. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, exactly as it is as it sounds. No spaces, Joe Goodberry. Joe, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Obviously, coming off the first uh, Bengals playoff win in 31 years, that helps a little bit. But otherwise, I am doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course. We're excited to get into this game. Congrats on the huge win. Derek Carr throwing an interception at the goal line. Classic Derek Carr kind of, I feel like, a fourth down mistake. But um, let's just dig right into this game. Can you talk about the progress that Joe Burrow has made throughout this season from the limited games he played last year before his injury and just how he bounced back from that ACL tear to really, I mean, he's one of, I think he might be the highest rated quarterback under pressure this season. Can you talk a little bit about how he's played this year? Yeah, I think the injury is the part to lead off with, obviously, because, you know, we, we've seen 
guys come back from it. We've seen some guys take a year and a half, two years to really fully get back to where we expect them. He's been really on fire the last six weeks or so of the season uh, against good competition to beating the Chiefs and then now winning a playoff game, being pretty efficient in that one. Uh, overall, he is who he was pretty much at LSU. Deadly accurate, very smart, very composed, very cool, uh, great in the pocket, and will find the open guy. You know, you know, some quarterbacks just feel where the defense is weak during a play, whether it's breaking down or in the first phase of, of you know reading the defense. He seems to know where it is. He rarely throws into coverage. Uh, so we're very happy with where Joe Burrow is right now. Uh, and Joe, I think that's a terrific breakdown of Burrow's sophomore campaign. He's really been electric. I kind of want to ask you a similar question on head coach Zach Taylor, because, you know, I think coming into this year was a really big year for Coach Taylor, right? Things didn't really go to plan last year. And if they had missed the playoffs this year, uh, there's a good chance he probably would have been fired. I, I, as an outsider, at least, that's how it looks to me. Certainly entered the season is probably, uh, you know, with his seat on fire, so to speak. So what sort of progress have you seen under Zach Taylor? Because I've personally heard nothing but great things about the guy. Yeah, I think the most franchises probably would have fired him after two years, you know, even with what he had to deal with. I mean, he had Andy Dalton and kind of didn't really get the chance to recreate the roster in his image that first year. It was kind of like we've got a lot of guys still on contract. Uh, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, A.J. Green, guys that are now either out of the league, backups or playing elsewhere. And he kind of had to come in, win that locker room over and try and win with it. It didn't work. Andy Dalton got hurt, got benched. Um, they had to start Brandon Allen, Ryan Finley, even when Joe Burrow came in and they cleaned out a lot of those old uh, guys from the last uh, run of Bengals football. They still were weak in a lot of areas and then Burrow only makes it nine games, right? And, and they were scoring points, averaging about 23 and a half points per game under Burrow, which is okay for a rookie quarterback with a Burrow line last year. Then Burrow gets hurt. So really, as we come into this year, we're like, you've got nine games with a starting quarterback and he was a rookie. How do I evaluate this guy? How do I look at this? And they were like one in 15 and one score games. It's like that should not continue that even flipping a coin, you should be closer than this. I, you know, it should not continue to happen that way. Uh, the idea always though, I think for the Bengals, because they aren't the most attractive destination for coaches I think their idea was we need to get a guy that we think can be the guy, whether it be in two, three, we hope not four years, but I think that was the idea. If he can develop into that guy, if he has all the mixtures we think he, we, that guy needs, go ahead and hire him early, maybe before another team would. And I think that was the idea with Zach Taylor. And now after three years, I think they're pretty happy with where he is. Yeah, I would certainly agree that that's the case. You know, all this talk about, Burrow and Zach Taylor in the offense. I'm curious to pick your brain on how you see the Bengals attacking uh, the Titans defensively. I don't know how much work you've done on the Titans defense or how much you know about their personnel and how they line up, but how do you sort of foresee Cincinnati, uh, you know, preparing a game plan for them? You know, it's funny, in the beginning of the year, they were really a run first team. The Bengals, I think they want to protect Joe Burrow a little bit. They wanted to Really not sure of how Jamar Chase would impact right away. I think they were confident. Remember, preseason, people were like, can he catch the ball? What kind of rookie year is he going to have? Uh, quickly, Jamar Chase silenced that. He had some drops this year. But, you know, quickly found out, okay, he can be a go-to guy that you can just feed the ball to. Uh, but as Burrow got healthier, they became a more pass-first. Uh, they were very neutral in the middle. And then towards that last half of the year, they were a heavy pass-first team. Uh, neutral situations. And I think that's what they are. They are, they like to stretch it vertical. They have more 30 yard touchdowns than 
double the next guy and the next quarterback in the league. They will push it downfield. They will stretch it with the receivers. They're an 11 personnel team with three wide receivers that they really think can win in all situations with Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and, of course, Jamar Chase. Uh, but they will run the ball if they have to. They're just not very good at it. They are very inconsistent because of the offensive line. And I think some of it is kind of Mixon's running style where he would rather run a guy over and try and punish them rather than make him miss. So when he does get these one-on-one situations, I think he's cool with just hitting that guy, crushing over him and, and just taking their six yards or whatever it may be rather than, okay, maybe we can turn this into an explosive play. Mixon's a really good back, but that is one of his limitations and one of the reasons why they struggle as a whole as a run game. I think you want either a consistent four-yard running game or you want something that can be explosive. And they're really either of those right now. So lately they haven't been able to run the ball. I think it was a big issue why they only scored 26 points against the Raiders. So I think from what I hear from what the, they've been doing the last few months too now, or a couple months now, they're going to ride Joe Burrow's arm and they're going to throw the ball and they're going to be a pass first team. And they're going to see if you can match up with these three receivers. And I don't think most teams can, even if you've upgraded a lot, like the Titans have at corner. I do feel like they're much better this year than last year when the Bengals played the Titans, especially at corner. Uh, and I think Amani Hooker playing this year is much, a, a much bigger help at other safety position outside of Kevin Bayard. Uh, their defensive line is better for the Titans this year. They've got, can actually pet, rush the passer a little bit better than they were last year where it was horrible at times. So I do think that is a challenge because the Bengals offensive line is still an issue. And if you can beat them inside, which I think Jeffrey Simmons is turning into a stud inside, uh, it creates problems and it creates problems for the passing offense. Having said that, they've run through the gamut of maybe the best pass rushers in the league other than Aaron Donald this year. And they still had a high-powered offense that won 10 games. So they found a way to deal with it. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I think about the Titans, at least over the last month and a half or so, they became one of the best teams in the league at stopping the run. They finished the year second in rushing yards allowed. So I would think just right off the bat for the Titans to play a team that runs the ball more or wants to run the ball more, like in, if they had been able to draw the Eagles in the alternate universe or something, that would have been a better matchup. But then I think back to the games the Titans played earlier this year against the Bills and the Chiefs pass first offenses and they really did a pretty good job of limiting those offenses too so i'm i'm very curious to see how the titans game plan against the Bengals because i definitely think that we're going to see a lot of those downfield shots those i don't know how uh, if this has been going on all season but i really noticed over the last few weeks jamar chase and burrow have the back shoulder connection that reminds me of rogers super bowl run when he when he's with green when green bay won in a few I guess over a decade ago now, but whenever that happened and it was just like the unstoppable timing play between the quarterback and the receiver who have ultimate trust with each other. So I'm definitely curious to see how the Titans are able to stop Jamar Chase. Is he going to be just a matchup nightmare? Is he going to be moved around the formation? So yeah, how do you see that going down? Yeah, Chase's role has been interesting. At the beginning of the year, it was just he's our speed guy. He's the only one that can win deep right now, especially as Higgins was dealing with a shoulder injury. Uh, so that's what they did with him. He ran downfield and ran past people. And that's great because it worked. Uh, and then defense has said, okay, we're not doing this anymore. We're shading the safety directly over Jamar chase. And he struggled for a few weeks. There was a few weeks where you could see he had one catch against the Broncos, you know, things when they wanted to take him out, the Bengals didn't have an answer. It wasn't until T Higgins came back from the shoulder injury where you're like, okay, you want to slide that safety over there? 
Higgins is going to be running goes on the other side. And he started smoking teams. I mean, really bad, even with guys on his hip, because he's not the fastest guy, his ball skills and being six, four, he was just catching them over top of him, playing basketball with him. And it made defenses go, okay, we're just going to play coverage. We're going to send both these safeties back if not play cover four. And we're not going to get beat over the top at all by these guys. And Tyler Boyd starts getting over the middle and then CJ Azam is over the middle and they start running with Joe Mixon and he's having success because they're not bringing an extra guy in the box. Uh, and then there was like the Ravens game where Burrow throws for 500 something yards where you could, the Ravens are just playing everyone back, cover six, basically. They're not letting anything happen. And they're just going to come up and make their tackles. And the Bengals said, okay, we're going to put Jamar Chase in the slot. And we're just going to feed him little dump offs and, and little quick hitches and things like that. And he's getting 15 to 20 yards every time just off his yards after the catch ability. He's hard to tackle. He's very strong. He's very fast, very agile. Um, and he ended up with over 100 yards just that, like that without a deep shot at all. And the Bengals have really massaged that to figure out how to get the ball into Chase's hands. If you watch the playoff game, I think he had three carries, but they will line him up in the backfield, give him pitches, and just say, okay, we need our best guy to have the ball as much as possible, whether that's taking deep shots. And I think that's why the back shoulders really come uh, to age the last few weeks because defenses are like, play him deep. And so he's he's running right up on their toes, and they're just throwing the back shoulder, and he's that connection between Burrow and Chase is just uncanny. It's really like you know, Joe, I, I think I know where you'll ultimately land on this, but I'm curious to hear your answer. You know, leading up to the draft, it was, all, you know, I'm a big draft guy. So it was the great debate in Cincinnati, right? Do they get chased? Do they get an offensive tackle to protect Burrow, especially coming off the ACL? I was always, you know, on the, the least popular team, in my opinion, which to my perception was go get chase. You know, yeah, you can get an offensive lineman later. Um, but you, Chase to me was a generational receiver and I don't throw that word around lightly. I actually viewed him as a generational talent. I thought he was terrific. And I think he's been as advertised thus far. Um, how do you sort of land on that decision now? And do you have any regrets whatsoever? Not regrets because you certainly don't, but what do you over, how do you now look at the decision for them not to go grab an offensive tackle? You know, to, to answer the last part, first, look at that top of that class, man. If you could have got Kyle Pitts, you're going to end up with a generational tight end. Penny Sewell ended up having a great year. Rashawn Slater, second Rashawn team. Slater, yeah. Right, and there was some consider, like, maybe you could trade back because the Dolphins may want to get up and get Chase. Maybe the Lions want to get Chase. You end up with Slater, so what? Um, and even Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith had great rookie years. You couldn't have messed that up. It's going to look back as a very strong uh, top of that class. And I think the Bengals looked at it like the underrated part that I think the national media wasn't covering or wasn't really looking at was they really believed Jonah Williams was going to turn into a good left tackle. And he only played 10 games the previous year, missed his entire rookie year. So you got 10 games of them to make this evaluation of, is he going to be our left tackle or are we going to take Penny Sewell? And from what they saw and getting a new offensive line coach that really wanted to work with Jonah, I think they said, He's going to be all right. He's going to be our guy. And they bet on that. And they were right. He's been really good as their left tackle. He's not at all pro level or anything like that, but I think he's good enough to where they're not worried about left tackle at all. They go in the round two and draft to Jackson Carmen as their offensive lineman. And that's really where the divergence for me started was I didn't believe Carmen was a second round pick. And Carmen really hasn't played, hasn't started. He's played some when injuries have happened, but for a second round pick and an offensive line that needs help, he should be playing, you know, that should not be sitting the bench. Um, so that was always to me why I, my argument was always to take Jamar Chase because I loved the second round offensive line class. Even in the third round, you see guys like Creed Humphrey, how great he's been. I think Sam Cosby would have been a great pick in that spot. Instead, they kind of went off 
script a little bit there, went a little deeper into my rankings than I would have liked. And that's when I was like, you know, they're still going to have issues on this offensive line, and they have. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Titans defense is going to have to try to take advantage of it if they can. The Tennessee Tickle Monsters, we'll see how that shakes out. I want to move over to the other side of the ball here and talk about the Bengals defense. They're dealing with a few injuries now on the D-line. We saw Joby get moved to IR today. On, we're taping this on Monday, and I want to ask about what your thoughts on Trey Hendrickson's status are. Obviously, it's early in the week with a concussion. He's got to go through the protocols and everything, but there's a chance. Obviously, he comes back. There's a chance he misses the game. What do you think his impact will be if he can play versus not playing? Huge. Trey Hendrickson has been fantastic for them. I mean, um, if, I, if you were to ask me who's been their best defensive player this year, I'd probably say it would be Trey Hendrickson. And they really like Jesse Bates. He hasn't had that great year at safety, but he's a good player. DJ Reader is a fantastic nose tackle. Maybe the best in the league, but he's a nose tackle. Um, maybe great for this game against the Titans, but, uh, you know, largely he's only playing maybe 50% of the snaps because you're just not going to have him out there in pass rush situations. So who's the guy who made the most impact this year and made the big splash plays? It was Trey Hendrickson, man. And he was – he's really been – I felt this pass rusher unit was going to have issues this year because he was really the only true pass rusher with athletic upside. When they lost Joseph Osai, who was their third-round pick, they lost him at the end of preseason. It was like, man, I think he was going to be their other guy, and Sam Hubbard was going to kick in the defensive tackle, and they'd go with B.J. Hill and Joby type thing at the other spot, and they'd be good with that. Osai goes down. Hubbard had to play full-time left defensive end, not kick in the D-tackle, which is what he's done the last few years. He's been okay over there, and Hubbard has his moments. We all like Sam Hubbard. But Hendrickson, man, athletic upside, uh, consistent motor. I mean, runs hot. The guy blacks out, and you see him. It's like, man, he's taking over this game in this drive right now. If he doesn't play, we saw in this last fourth quarter of this last game, the Bengals could not generate pressure at all. It was bad. I mean, it all starts with him on this defensive line. It, it would be a big, big loss if he cannot play. And do you think that the uh, Ogan Joby loss is going to affect them too? Because I was thinking about, you know, Josh Jacobs averaged 6.4 yards per carry. And obviously that's a stat that requires a lot of context that I did not give any to there. But Derrick Henry expected to make his return. Hasn't officially been activated yet, but all the talk and expectation is that Henry will be back this weekend. I saw you on Twitter earlier today talking about how um, you don't know if he's going to get a full workload. I tend to think he is probably going to get a full workload. I don't know if he's going to be limited at all. I think if they'd brought him back week 18, then we might have seen the limited Henry, eight carries, 10 touches, something like that. But I think the reason that they held him out as long as they did is so that when he's back, he can be full go how do you see the Bengals trying to stop Henry? Yeah, I think Ogunjobi is going to be a loss. Uh, he's been the other starter next to DJ Reader. There are multiple defense, though. They will play with three defensive tackles a lot as a more of a three-four um, odd fronts. And the other guy being Josh Tupau, who missed last week, who they really like as a big 330-pound guy. Uh, and B.J. Hill, who they traded Billy Price for with the Giants just before the start of the season. Uh, he's actually been the more consistent player than Ogunjobi, even though he's backed him up technically. They both played 
a good amount this year. And B.J. Hill's really been the, the, the better run defender, more consistent guy, but he actually gets pass rush uh, productivity for the amount of snaps he gets. So I'm not concerned with, like, the one-for-one one replacement of that. It's more of the depth, right, because Dubois coming off a, a, a missing a game. Ogunjobi's not there. Now you only have two guys. Can you go in one odd front now? Is Tyler Shell on their fourth-round pick at LSU going to have to play, which when we see him, he hasn't been great. Uh, so I think it hurts the depth. Big time. Uh, they brought up Mike Daniels, former Pro Bowler uh, from the practice squad. He ended up playing one snap and hurting his groin. I think he is completely out as well. Uh, so it, it's an issue. But Ogan is more of a home run strikeout kind of guy. So he has a great first step, can rush the passer as a one tech shooting the gap type thing. Uh, but just he gets blown up a bunch too and misses with his vision and misses with his hands. And, and he's, I, I like Hill. So my point there is it will be an impact. I don't know if. It's more of an impact here. Here's what I think the best strategy is. And maybe I'm wrong because I think teams probably try this versus the Titans and it doesn't always work, especially if the Titans defense is going to play the way it has, I think, the last month or so. You score points and you make the Titans have to play from behind and you make them throw the ball. Uh, and it's not that they have good receivers. And I like Brian Tannehill within the scheme. I mean, I, I, they have shown they can score points. But I, I, we talk a lot about game script, right? When you're down, the Bengals can't pass to protect. When they're leading, they're fine because you can mix in the run. You can mix in the play action. You can toy with the defense a little bit more. And I think it's probably similar for the Titans. If they are ahead of the game, they are dangerous, man, because they will run it down your throat. They'll mix in the play action. And they'll suck your linebackers up and throw it into that void behind them. And I don't want that. Nobody wants to see that version of the game. So the best defense for Derrick Henry is to go out, score early, and try and put up 30 points on this team. So this has been terrific. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You've been really gracious with it. Uh, in closing, kind of wrap us up with your final expectations, how you see this game going flow-wise, script-wise. And if you're so inclined, feel free to give us a prediction. And that can include a score prediction. It doesn't have to, but we'd love to hear your overall thoughts on this. Yeah, I feel good, but not to the point of like last week. Last week, I People are asking me, are the Bengals going to do it? I'm like, yeah, they're going to beat, beat the Raiders. Uh, and I even said, I think the Bengals should win 10 games this year in preseason because I just had that much confidence in where Joe Burrow was and the weapons. And I thought, your two quarterbacks do this. This is what it looks like if you've got the right guy. Uh, I don't feel that confident going to this Titans game. I feel like they can beat the Titans. Uh, it's going to be tough. Titans arrested. It's at home. I mean, we saw how much the home crowd helped the Bengals, I think, last week with a bunch of false starts and timeouts and, you know, just clutch moments that you need that, that you know, miscommunication. So that's going to be going against the Bengals. They're a little banged up right now where the Titans should be feeling really good about where they're at in, in terms of, you know, rest and health. Uh, I think it's a close game. I'd be wrong if I didn't pick the Bengals just because I would love to see it happen. I'm going to say 27-24 uh, Cincinnati. Nice. You got to pick the Bengals. We understand. We'll probably pick the Titans, but hey, who knows what's right. going to happen it's in the playoffs? Anything can happen. I mean, the crazy thing about the NFL playoffs is like one play can change the whole season. It's a single elimination. So very excited for it. Can't wait. First game of the Saturday. Is that right? Is it the first game? It is. First game of Saturday. So that'll be a fun, exciting game. Joe, thanks so much for your time. We will let you go now. Wishing you the best of luck. Going forward, maybe not this weekend exactly, but lots of exciting pieces down there in Cincinnati that are going to grow and be good for many years. So I, we could have playoff rematches in the future. Who knows what's going to happen? Thanks again to Joe Goodberry for that insight into the Bengals, Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, Jamar Chase, and the defense, the potential missing players that they have and how they could try to account for those deficiencies. 
Let's get to our other guests now. This one we're super excited about. We were super excited about Joe, but Mr. Monday Night himself on the podcast to preview the Titans playoff game. First time they've been a one seed since Keith Bullock was a Titan. We are thrilled now to welcome onto the podcast the legend himself, three-time All-Pro linebacker with the Tennessee Titans, Mr. Monday Night, Keith Bullock. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, you know, playoffs, football week, man. Titans um, got that home field. So even if um, you're not a football fan and you're living in the Music City, you know, you can't help but notice the excitement. Right, exactly. And that's what we want to talk with you about today. Thanks for joining us to get into this game. First question I have for you here, as somebody who definitely has their thumb on the pulse of this team following along with this potential Super Bowl run, what do you view this season as a realistic expectation for this Titans playoff run? Is a Super Bowl a realistic possibility? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, the Titans have beaten um, the two other teams that are playing in the other conference championship game, whereas, you know, Cincinnati, um, you know, they're playing good football, but so are the Tennessee Titans. And I think that right now the Titans have the best formula for victory um, throughout the playoffs because, one, they proved it to the other two teams. But first and foremost, obviously, they have to get past the Cincinnati Bengals first. Yeah, and speaking of the, this upcoming game, Keith, what, in your opinion, what do you see as the key to victory over the Bengals? The key to victory really is the the, the defensive line, our, the Titans' defensive line versus Cincinnati Bengals' offensive line. Um, if the Titans' defensive line can outproduce by, and when I say outproduce, meaning put more pressure on Joe Burrow, not necessarily sacks, but don't allow him to sit in the pocket comfortably, set his feet, and deliver the ball. Make him kind of have to throw off the spot, run for his life a little bit. Make it really tough on the kid. Uh, I think the Titans have a great chance because um, you know, offensively, regardless who's in the backfield, they're going to run the ball. It's great King Henry's coming back, but Deontay Foreman showed that he can carry the load. So I think that offense, the offensive game plan that they're going to have with Julio, with A.J. Brown, with Deontay Foreman, um, and uh, King Henry, and obviously Ryan Tannehill, you know, they're, they're on all cylinders with um, that offense. As long as, you know, the offensive line that has been showing up the last two weeks shows up, you know, we know they've had their troubles in the past, but they seem to, you know, have solidified those troubles. Um, and Cincinnati is missing two of their top pass rushers right now, one out definitely, and another could possibly come back. So I think... Um, the Bengals are coming in here with a lot of hope, hope that things go their way. <laughs> right. Yeah, those are great points there. I want to get your opinion now talking about what it's like to be the number one seed. What's that what that mindset is like? Because obviously your 2008 Titans got that number one overall seed. What does that first round buy mean to the team? And do you think there's any dangers of possibly getting complacent when you have that buy? Um, the buy means a lot. You know, that's what you play for all year. Obviously, you play to get into the playoffs, but then if you can get a first-round buy, that's even better. Um, you know, during that bye week, it, in the play, it's a great time to get away from football. Obviously, you're going to watch the playoff games, but um, I remember in the past, Coach giving you time to really get out of the city, man, if you want to get away with your wife, your family, or just your friends, just to get away from football, because obviously, you're coming back to play each week. If 
is a, well, when you come back, it's a one-game season. And if you win the next week, it's a one-game season. So you want to come back refreshed and ready to go. And, um, you know, it, it's it's tough when you have to play a team that's already, you know, had a game. So it takes even more focus um, and really to, to get up the game speed that fast. Absolutely. And, you know, Keith, we'd be silly if we didn't get your thoughts on their linebackers, right? I mean, who, who better to ask about uh, the, these linebackers? And Titans are about three, four deep there, you know, with David Long and Rashawn Evans and, and Jayon Brown, and obviously the, the late season acquisition of Zach Cunningham. Uh, they appear, appear to be moving forward with the duo of Long and Cunningham specifically. Uh, what are your thoughts on that duo? Well, um, look, David Long Jr. showed that, you know, he was here and ready to play. Unfortunately, he got hurly, hurt early in the season that he had to be on IR and just start, just came back. But when he came back, he, he made an instant impact, you know, making plays. I believe he had an interception his first game back. And Zach Cunningham, you know, kind of was like a, a blessing in the skies for the Titans because, you know, uh, he came in making plays, leading the team in tackles and all of the above. So I don't know what the situation was in Houston, nor do I care because that's not our issue. But uh, I think we got a great quality uh, pickup. And honestly and truthfully, it, you're looking at possible the you know, the two middle linebackers of the future, you know, obviously Jayon and Rashad are household names here in, in Tennessee, here in the Music City, but, you know, it's all about production. So we'll have to see at the end of the season how it plays out for all four of them. But right now they're getting it done linebacker by committee. All four of them get playing time and all four of them, those uh, middle linebackers contribute to the Titans on defense when they're in the game. Yeah, they have been playing well. We we're also curious about your thoughts on this Titans defensive line and specifically curious, which defensive line was better? The 2008 Titans chain gang or this group of four with Landry, Danico Autry, Jeffrey Simmons and Bud Dupree? Who would you take? Uh, you know, I'm going to always take my guys. Uh, <laughs> but, but to be fair, you know, this Titans defense runs a 3-4. Uh, so they always have, uh, you know, Bud Dupree and Landry, Harold Landry, they're the extra rusher that they'll insert in. And they're, they're um, considered outside linebackers in a 3-4 defense. So, you know, we play two defensive ends and, you know, two interior linemen. So to be completely fair, um, you know, it's like comparing apples to oranges. They're both good. So, um, yeah, I, I have to go in that direction. But to stay with this year's um, defensive line, they've done a great job. I think the addition of Bud Dupree has definitely brought up the gameplay of everyone on the line, including obviously Harold Landry. Um, but I also feel that Danico Autry has helped Jeffrey uh, Simmons take his game to another level as well. So, you know, we speak about it as outside linebackers and interior linemen, but when it comes to pass rushing, they're all one. And you see the communication that they use when it comes to the different stunts that they that they ex execute between the defensive end, either if he's looping inside or if he's staying outside. You know, we've seen them rush with a four-man rush all year, and they have more sacks than they had last year as a team. So obviously they're doing something right with the addition of the four-man rush that they've implemented. 
And a lot of people say the, the fastest route to the quarterback is up the middle. It's the interior, right? And you've seen the difference that Dina Coatry has made on this defense and that positive impact that he's had on Jeffrey Simmons. You know, they both went to Mississippi State, so they seem to be really enjoying uh, one another's co company there. Uh, I got one final question here for you, Keith. Uh, your playing career obviously, uh, you know, looped over with Mike Vrabel's, right? You guys were in the league at the same time. Uh, I'm curious, what, what's your best Vrabel story from your playing days? <laughs> That's funny, man. I actually have one. So um, Vrabel started with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and um, we were up at Three Rivers um, playing them, and it's the game that um, I believe Steve McNair came in and threw the touchdown. At the, you know, Jeff, Jeff loves that game because it was a great game. Mac was hurt. And anyway, long story short, at that time I was just playing special teams um, and maybe uh, had a linebacker package. <laughs> but we're, it was on a kick return. And I turn, I do my thing, and I go to block my guy, and I get ran through. Like, I like miss my block. I figure, like, I slipped or something. Uh, my guy makes the tackle. So then the next time, all right, I go, I turn to go to make my block. I have all my footing, everything perfect position. I miss my block again. I get ran through. And then uh, the third time, uh, Alan Lowry, um, you know, called the double team because, obviously, I kept missing my block. And this time we made the block. Uh, my guy didn't make the tackle. And then he like, he's like, yeah, that's right. You better get help, punk. And um, uh, it wasn't punk. It was uh, another five-letter P word. That was a four-letter P word. But, uh, yeah, it was Mike Vrabel. So that was my Mike Vrabel, I would say, if, if anything gave me my welcome to the NFL moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that story. And thanks so much for your time today, Mr. Monday Night. We want to wrap this up with just trying to get your thoughts, your general expectations. Do you feel good about the Titans' chances to win this game this weekend? Yeah, this weekend. Let's just start with this weekend. I feel great about them winning um, uh, this weekend. Obviously, you know, um, you got to get over the initial excitement. And then from there, you know, I think you just play ball. Like I said, if the defensive line can harass Burrow enough to keep him, you know, off the spot, not let him get comfortable in the pocket. I mean, look. He, I, I love his game. He's a swaggy second-year guy with moxie, and he's out there doing his thing. But let's not create the legend of uh, Joe Burrow here in Nashville. I think um, <laughs> hours for the taking, and uh, let's just really put them in the place, put them in their place, and let them start over next year. That's a great answer, Keith. We really appreciate your time. Thanks again for joining us, and hopefully, we'll speak to you again soon someday. All right, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying this very special episode of Music City Audible. We brought out all the stops for the Titans' first playoff game. We got freaking Keith Bullock, Mr. Monday Night on here to talk about a playoff game. And you better be listening to this episode. You better be cranking up the volume because this feels like, to me, potentially uh, the greatest MCA episode of all time. Very, very possible. I think that, you know, we upped our game for the playoffs, just like the Titans are going to up their game for the playoffs. So we're in playoff mode and we're ready for this game on Saturday. We will be back next week. Hopefully we are previewing a Titans AFC championship game. We might be previewing a Titans offseason. That's the worst case scenario. I don't even want to talk about it or think about it until it could happen. So we will be back next week to preview the AFC championship. You guys will be here to join us next Wednesday morning. It will drop just like always. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.